If you were a teen or tween reader growing up in the late aughts and early 2010s, chances are that you went pretty hard for dystopian novels. The Hunger Games probably comes to mind, but there were other heavy hitters in the space too, and we are talking about one of them this week on the podcast. Matched by Ali Condi depicts a world in which everything, and I mean everything, is driven by data and the whims of society officials. As the book opens, main character Cassia prepares to attend her match banquet where that data and those officials will dictate the boy she will one day marry. She's super excited, and she's happy with her match. But the banquet also kickstarts a chain of events that force Cassia to begin asking questions of the world around her and to ponder the concept of choice. We'll get into more details of this particular dystopia and of the plot itself later in the episode, so I won't bore you with those right now. But you can look forward to conversations about all kinds of things over the next hour the unique origin story behind Matched, the way the technology in the novel has aged since it was published in 2010, whether safety or knowledge is more important, love triangles, treatment of the elderly, world building, different kinds of love, depictions of mental health and medication, and so much more. I'm thankful to my guest for navigating so much territory with me. Lauren Kung Jessen is a mixed-race Chinese-American writer with a fondness for witty, flirtatious dialogue and making meals with too many steps but lots of flavor. She is fascinated by myths and superstitions and how ideas, beliefs, traditions, and stories evolve over time. From attending culinary school to working in the world of big tech to writing love stories, Lauren cares about creating experiences that make people feel something. When she's not writing novels, she works as a content strategist and user experience writer. She also has a food and film blog, A Dash of Cinema, where she makes food inspired by movies and TV shows. Lauren lives in Nashville with her husband, who she met thanks to fate, aka the algorithms of online dating, two cats, and a dog. You probably recognize Lauren's name from her new-ish novel, Lunar Love, which was chosen as a book of the month pick earlier this year. Its beautiful cover has been everywhere and certainly a bookstagram favorite. Follow Lauren on Instagram and Twitter at Lauren K. Jessen. Sign up for her newsletter at laurenkjessen.substack.com and learn more about her work at laurenkungjessen.com. If you're listening to this episode in real time, we are into the second week of our SSRFU virtual lemonade stand campaign to support Alex's Lemonade Stand, an organization that funds research for children's cancers and looks for ways to give families what they need while undergoing treatment. My goal is to raise $2,000 for the foundation by the end of this week, and while we are well on our way, I would still appreciate your support for this important cause. When you donate $10 or more, you will get access to a fun, exclusive video miniseries called Lit Lemonade. And when you donate $25 or more, you'll be entered to win a $100 gift card to bookshop.org. Learn more and make a donation at the link in my Instagram bio at SSRPod. Instagram is my home base for lots of other fun behind the scenes and podcast news too. So if you like what you hear today, be sure you're following me there. Instagram is a fantastic place to spread the word as well. If you feel so inspired, please take a screenshot of this episode now, yes, like right now, and post it to your Instagram story. Don't forget to tag me so I can see it and share. You can also find SSR on Twitter at SSRPod and on Facebook when you search the SSR podcast or the SSR book club. If, after all of that, you still don't have enough SSR in your life, I can pretty much guarantee that you will love being part of our Patreon community. Yes, Patreon contributions help me keep this one-woman show going, but SSR patrons also get access to bonus episodes, newsletters, reading recap videos, exclusive guest Q&As, and so much more. Get the details and get involved at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Next month in the SWR, that's Shit We Read Book Club in Patreon, we will be reading All This Could Be Different, and it would be so fun to have you join us for that. Find your next great audiobook at Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRpodcast when prompted to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Libro.fm is a great place to buy audiobooks because it supports indie booksellers instead of giant corporations. The audiobooks you buy there will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. I recently got a copy of Andy Cohen's latest book on Libro.fm, and I am loving hearing him read it himself. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. 
What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Things are getting a little dystopian today, and I'm very excited. I included Ali Condi's Matched on your little list of book suggestions, knowing that you wrote a book with a matchmaking element, and also knowing that you have some background in data and technology. And I just kind of like snuck it in there, and I was pretty excited to see that you chose it, and I can't wait to get your take on this book. So tell me about why you chose Matched, and did you read this book before, or was this the first time? Yeah, I love that you included it. It felt totally relevant and it kind of stuck out to me because of the title and I had never heard of it before. So like I hadn't even seen it around and I think it's because it came out around the time that I was, I think I was like in my teens. And so I know it was like a big hit, all three. And so honestly, after reading it, I was like, I need to know what happens I want to keep going in the trilogy. The matchmaking, I say that with air quotes because (laughs) there's really not a lot of like matchmaking. It goes on behind the scenes. It really happens off page. But I found that element to be super intriguing and I was hooked from the first page. Yes. Okay. I'm thrilled that you were hooked from the first page. My background with this book was that, so it came out in 2010. I was 20 and I was not reading YA at that time. I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I feel like there's this resurgence of YA in the early aughts and then in the early 2010s with this whole like wave of dystopian books. And I just like wasn't reading YA at the time. And then I started working in the sales department at one of the big publishing houses in New York. And um, I decided that the best way for me to get competitive was to read all of the competitions, YA hits. And at that time, Match was still going strong. And so I read it and I remember loving it. Like I thought it was one of my favorite competitive reads that I'd picked up. I don't think I read any of the other books in the series, but yes, I like very quickly went through Hunger Games and Divergent and matched like that whole little batch of books. So I was looking forward to coming back to it. If it's okay with you, if you'll indulge me, I want to share a little bit of the sort of like behind the scenes origin story kind of stuff that I found about this book because there's some interesting details out there. Oh, I would love to hear it. Okay, so Ali Condi was a high school English teacher and she first got the seed of the idea for Matched when she was chaperoning a high school prom. And she was observing the students and seeing them and all their pageantry walking around in their pairs. And she was thinking about this idea of an algorithm. Like what would it be like if there was a way to match these teens up perfectly? And she was also observing the outfits and the decorations and just kind of like the formality of this whole event. And so that got her wheels turning. She ended up taking a step back from teaching to be home with her son. And she was thinking about other things that she could do. And she started writing. She actually had five books out with a small local publishing house in Utah. And when she had the idea for Matched, she wrote the whole thing and she gave it to her editor at this small press And to their credit, and they're a very honest, lovely group of people, wherever they are, they said, this is going to be huge. And they let her out of her contract with them and encouraged her to go find representation because she she didn't have an agent. She had been working directly with the publishing house. So they let her off the hook. She queried a bunch of agents. And as somebody who's going through the querying process right now, to hear that she got, quote, a bunch of responses back. I was like, oh, that sounds great. And one of the other interesting facts was that her agent decided to send the manuscript to the woman who would become Allie's editor when she was on maternity leave, knowing that she was on maternity leave. But the agent was like, I know she's going to love this. Like, trust me. And it all worked out. There were six publishing houses at auction for this book and Penguin ended up getting it. And here we are with Match. She had a 250,000 copy first print run. Wow. So they knew it was going to be big. It was number two on the indie bestseller list and hit the New York Times list. Like it did what they wanted it to do. Yep. Wow. So interesting. 
that's amazing to be let out of the contract and then to go off and it happened the way that you envision it happening. Yeah, it's the dream scenario. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine being the publisher at that little Utah press who was like, I mean, they couldn't have done obviously what Penguin did with it, but I'm sure that to this day, sometimes they're like, hmm, remember when we almost had Ali Condi's matched? Yeah, that would have been amazing. And then I think the rights to the, I think there was going to be a movie at some point. I hope there still is because honestly, reading through this, I was like, this could have come out last year even this year I'm like this it feels so relevant feels like it could have it was not 13 years ago I was so surprised about that because I saw that so Disney got the rights in 2010 they must have sold the movie rights at the same time that the book was published and there were some very early reports of like it going into early production and that kind of thing but nothing else has come out since then so I'm hopeful that even though it's been a few years now, even since the 10-year anniversary, they like released a special edition and Ali Condi was kind of back out doing interviews and stuff in 2020. Maybe that like reawakened some of that interest because it feels like it should absolutely live somewhere. I mean, it would work even as like a mini series on one of the streamers. Yeah, that's right. I think she has another book coming out soon. So that could resurge some things which would be fun yeah we're out here advocating for it we want to see this on our screens I think there's so much potential it would be really an interesting world to put together visually I think so too it has a really it feels like a gentle hunger games in that it definitely doesn't have that kind of more like violent element on the page to it and so I think there's an audience for that kind of feels like a clean dystopia in a way there's like still definitely undertones of darkness and mystery but I think there could be viewers yeah I found a couple of quotes from Ali Condi when she was asked about comparisons to the Hunger Games she was flattered by that but she was like I don't write action as well as Suzanne Collins (laughs) I mean true but that's not her thing we can't all be good at everything yeah that's fair and she said that she was much more influenced in fact by older school dystopia like 1984 totally felt that Yeah, so I thought those were all kind of fun behind-the-scenes facts, but let's get into it and get into the story of our girl Cassia Rays, who's 17 years old when we meet her, and we find her for the first time on the night of her big matching banquet, which is like the biggest thing that can happen to a person in this society where she lives, um, in this society, which is, again, a dystopia. You get the opportunity to be matched to your, quote, perfect partner when you're 17 years old and it's all very prescribed you get matched and then you wait a number of years to actually have your marriage contract like it's all very transactional and then you get married and then you're supposed to have kids in a certain time like it's all very planned out what did you think about the introduction to Cassia like did you relate to her at all um what were your thoughts I really liked her as a character. I think right away, like I felt very drawn into the scene. We start in the action of her at her match, which is fun. That really sets the stage of what you expect when you go into the book. And then throughout, I really appreciated that she just stayed true to herself. Like when it comes to the writing and the poetry, but also like not taking the tablets, I thought was a very specific example where there are, I think it's blue, green, and red tablets that they all carry around. And we learn the meaning of them throughout the book as it develops and her just not taking them and not even feeling influenced to, and just kind of like standing up for herself in moments and becoming stronger as the book goes on. And we, she slowly gains that confidence of, realizing that there's more to this world that she's living in and obviously her grandfather has a lot to do with that um, his influence and so yeah I thought she was a really I really liked her as a character I think she had a tough situation to face um, especially with being matched with her best friend but then seeing somebody else flash up like that's a tough situation it introduces the idea of choice which is not something she's ever had she's a rule follower and I love her for that and so it's fun to see her grow how did you like her no, I liked her too. And I, I read a few blog reviews who accused her of being boring. And to that I say, what do you expect of someone who's grown up in this environment? Yeah. Like, yes, is she somebody who has her own set of unique interests and personality traits? No, but she has been taught that to have her own unique interests and personality traits is to stick out and sticking out in her culture is a really bad thing. Yeah. So she is boring because she only knows to toe the line and she becomes less boring if we even want to like throw that word around even more as the book goes on because she starts asking questions, which is a huge kind of heartbeat of the whole story. 
Yes, definitely. Yeah, standing out is dangerous where she lives. And I, I appreciate that she also wants, maybe, you know, maybe some of the boringness, the air quote boringness is like, she's really good at her job. She follows the rules and she just wants to succeed and strive to be the citizen that this dystopia wants her to be. And so um, her, her father also works as an official. And so she was raised in that environment of following the rules and not standing up too much. It occurs to me as we talk more about her that what's sort of missing from her character are hallmarks of teen girl characters that I think we're really used to seeing in books, but also in movies and TV shows. And for better or worse, those elements kind of hint at the romantic, like the flirtation and the daydreaming and like the pink girly stuff. And that's all, of course, like there's an argument that all of that is kind of reductive, but I think that we are to at least a certain degree accustomed to those details, like brightening up a character on the page for us. And that's just not Cassia's reality. She doesn't live in the kind of world where you're allowed to like romanticize your life at all. Like they wear the exact same clothes every day, except on their matching day. Like if you think she's boring and, and maybe it's because she doesn't like see her life in that way, but her life isn't meant to be that way. So I'm just here to defend Cassia. Yes. And I think when she had the opportunity to express herself, she did with like, she chose a color dress that, was unique. Like a lot of the other girls chose different colors. And so I think she stands out in her own way that just hasn't had an opportunity to flourish or grow in her environment. Right. And then when she has the opportunity as the book progresses to learn to write and to explore different kinds of art, she's really quick to take those opportunities as well. So boring, she is not. Exactly. She also had like a hundred poems and stories and songs to listen to her entire life. So yeah. I mean, I think we should just cut her some slack. She's doing the best she can. Let's talk about her love interests. So as you mentioned, Lauren, at her big matching banquet, this very unusual thing happens in which the boy who pops up on the screen when it's her turn to be matched is not only her best friend, Xander, but also somebody who lives in her neighborhood, in her province. And typically when you go in to be matched as a 17-year-old, you're matched with somebody who lives elsewhere, who's attending their matching banquet in another province or a different city. I will say like the geography of this world was like a little confusing for me. I I didn't quite understand like how the pieces fit together, but that doesn't matter. I'm not going to get caught up in it. Basically, it was unusual that Cassia would, would be familiar with the person she matched with. Usually that person is a stranger and that's like the excitement of it is you have these years to get to know somebody. It's like, the fun part of a long distance relationship where you're expecting letters and different kinds of communication. So it's Xander, who is this boy she's grown up with. And I was excited for her because I think most of us have had a friend like that in our lives. And we can maybe look back on our middle school and high school years and think about somebody where you're like, hmm, if somebody matched me with that person because I was popped into a computer and the computer popped out that we are the perfect match, like that would make sense to me and it would feel safe. What did you think about Xander's appearance on the screen? Is that something that you would have wanted when you were a teenager or would you have been looking for that excitement? When I went into the book, I was hoping to have, like, we didn't, we didn't really know their friendship yeah. or their relationship. We just had them on the way to the match. And so I couldn't be totally bought into them. I had the general understanding of like, okay, it's your best friend. That's exciting. That gives you butterflies. That's really special. And that feels very fictitious in a way. And so I liked it at first, but then I didn't feel like we spent a whole lot of time with them together to really like buy me into that relationship. Hmm. But I'm totally bought into Kai. So (laughs) interesting. Okay. So this is very much like team Gail, team PETA, team Xander, team Kai, and you're team Kai. I think I am. Okay. I might be team Xander, but I think I could also be convinced because I'm not sure that I was crazy about either of them. Xander felt like cozy to me, but he also was like so protective of her and maybe a little possessive. I don't know. I didn't always understand his emotions about, about Cassia and about their relationship. But at the beginning, at least when they were both like so sweet and excited about the match, I was totally in. Yes, that was sweet. It's true. I think I I like that 
they were both very nice people. Like it's so easy and love triangles are hard. They're hard to write. They're hard to kind of invest yourself in because somebody is going to get hurt. And so at the end of the day, you're like, okay, who's going, who's it going to be? Because somebody will get heartbroken. And sometimes in love triangles, there's somebody who's like clearly a bad choice. And you're like, oh, that's the, that's the villain of the story or that's the enemy. And I like that there wasn't a villain. Like Xander wasn't, he was a really good guy. And almost to the point where he was like, felt kind of like he was trying to help them get together in a way, or at least to develop that friendship, or he kind of like had suspicion about it. And so that makes the choice harder because they're both great. Yeah, I think the book, at the same time as it's interrogating like the whole structure of this society, it's interrogating this notion of like there being one person for everyone, which is a debate that you hear all the time in real life, like soulmates, are they real or fake? Is there really one person for everyone? And there are so many like ways you can answer that question. So many shades of gray there. But I feel like with Kai and Xander, Ali Condi has given us a super concrete, tangible example of what it looks like for somebody to sort of have two really good options and to be able to picture their life in the future sort of equally positively and optimistically with two different people. I mean, by the end of the book, Cassia is fully committed to finding Kai and building a life with him. But it's also pretty obvious right up until the last page that if she had chosen to stay with Sander, her life would have been different, but it probably would have been great in its own way. So I really like that Ali Condi exposed young readers to that idea. And not just in this like nebulous way, but by really laying out the two options. I feel like in other love triangle books, it's not quite as murky. Like there is, as you said, Lauren, like more of a good choice and more of a bad choice. And here I feel like Ali Condi is like, yeah, I mean, either way, like she could be fine. And that's the practical take on on life and on love and on relationships, even outside of this dystopian environment. I think it's also very gentle introduction to choice in this world where Cassie and her family never had choices, really. They are given their meals based on their bodies and nutritional needs. They are tracked when they exercise. They can't run in public. Like they don't have a lot of choice. And so when this happens, it isn't a clear choice. And so I think that very nuanced level of giving somebody options in this way is her delicate introduction to it, which then she starts peeling back the layers And by the end, you're really like, how can you go back? How can you go backwards to just kind of following the rules, which makes you really believe that she has to go find Kai, pushes you forward into the next book. And that is frustrating and fun because I love a wrap up. Yeah. And I just felt totally like, well, now I have to, I have to know. Yeah. Well, it really is a metaphor for growing up and for being a teenager, of course, with all of these fantastical high tech elements, but Cassia is really going through a process that I think all teens go through in one way or another, which is like asking questions that you've always been afraid to ask, becoming aware of problems in the systems around you, realizing that your parents aren't perfect, and also coming to terms with the fact that once you knock over like one of those blocks in the tower, there's a risk that the entire tower will fall down. And you as a teenager like Cassia and like so many of us have to decide like if you're willing to push it that much further or if you just want to like continue with what you knew before. There's a line in the book somewhere that's like, would I rather be safe or would I rather know? And that's a very real question. And I think that captures so much of what's happening in the book. Yes. So you were talking briefly about the fact that these people in the society, they have all of their data collected on them for their meals and for their workouts and all of that stuff. And around the 10th anniversary of the book in 2020, there were a lot of events, of course, for Matched and Ali Condi without talking about it. And she was reflecting on the ways that she felt that the book was reflecting kind of segments and and little tidbits of reality when she wrote it in 2010 and how in many ways it felt even more real 10 years later, like in terms of data mining and like all of this kind of information, the way that technology works today. And she she joked that like she didn't even have a smartphone when she wrote Matched. 
And now, of course, her life is totally different. All of our lives are totally different. She did her entire 10-year anniversary book tour on Zoom because of COVID, which would not have been possible for her when the book first came out. So I thought it was interesting just thinking about the technology of this book and how in 2010, Ali Kandi was like making her best guess for what this kind of technology might look like. And now, 13 years later, we're getting closer to a lot of these kinds of technology. I, I read an article in the Daily Paper at Tufts University, and they're reflecting on how kids who grew up reading Matched when they were in middle school and high school are now on dating apps and how they're being matched based on their data. And of course, this is like a very extreme version but I just thought it was interesting, like looking at some of this technology and being like, okay, like Ali Kani, this was like not, we didn't quite get it here, but like you're, you're almost there. It's just always fascinating anytime a book that I'm reading for the podcast has a big technology element to see how it's aged or not. Yeah, it is super interesting. I wish we had, it had gone into more of like why certain people or match a little bit more of the matching element because it is, I mean, it's called matched, but it's also such a big part of how society continues in the families and being matched with the world, the different, I guess they're different, like it's not, it's all the same world provinces. Yeah. The geography is weird. Yeah. And like, can they get to each other? And like, how does that look? Um, and then what literally, what does the world beyond look like? Can they physically get there? It kind of seemed a little bit more conceptual, but I would have loved to know a little bit more about that technology. I feel like we learned a lot of like about the technology for like how the dresses get picked. Yeah. <laughs> Like your personal data indicates it and your general psychology does it too. Right. And I that felt so clueless Yeah, where it was like picking out your outfits. And so those kinds of things were interesting to read about. But there, yeah, uh, I would have loved to learn more about the matched part. Yeah. And all of the tracking of their like workout data, I was like, hello, my Peloton. Yeah. Like <laughs> <I know. laughs> Peloton is tracking all of my workout data and I'm fine with it, I guess. Yes. Um, okay. So... Cassia has been matched officially with Xander, but she is given this little, I think it's called like a, a data card. Like these are the funny little technological terms that are used in this book and that don't translate well 13 years later. But she's given this card and the idea behind this card is that after your match, you're supposed to bring it home, plug it into the, like this big terminal that is used to communicate and it's like the hub of everybody's households and you can learn about your match. And Cassia is like, LOL, like I know everything about my match. Like we'll just put it in to see if I know anything different. And at first she sees Xander's face and she's going to get all the info about him. But then Kai's face pops up and she does recognize Kai. He is another boy that she knows from around town, province, city. We don't know what these terms are supposed to be, but she knows Kai. He came to their province by way of adoption. He moved in down the street with his aunt and uncle who adopted him after losing their own son. And Kai has been classified as what's called an aberration and aberrations, as far as I understand it, are not like fully persona non grata in the society because like they're still allowed to work and allowed to like kind of move through the world in a normal way, but they are not eligible to be matched or they generally are not matched. And so not only is it strange that this other face popped up when Cassia put in her card, but also like he was never really supposed to be in the pool. So there's a lot going on here. And this is the first this is like the first domino that knocks down and inspires Cassia to start asking questions. Yes. Super interesting moment in the book. If you if you read the back, you kind of know what's coming, but like it still is super catchy. And like, I definitely was like, okay, I just need to know like one more chapter. I just need to keep going. Like what is going to happen? More of like, how does it happen? Because you kind of know what happens, but now what? We learn over the course of the book that she did actually interact with Kai at certain points in her life, but it wasn't Xander. So like they weren't best friends and he kind of always, I guess Kai's theme is that he disappears a lot. He disappears into the pool. He disappears on the air train. He's kind of like this very elusive guy. And so he's fun to get to know through Cassie. And I think he helps open Cassie up in that way of like, he was exposed to this outside world, wherever that is. And he knows how to write. He knows about what that world looks like and what happens beyond in the beyond. And I think that is a really interesting mirror for Cassie, who's totally unaware of those things. Yeah, you get the sense that he is like, like if, it, if he were a person in our contemporary time and place, or like I'm thinking about what his character would be like on 
a teen drama in the early aughts, which was like my heyday of being in high school. He would be mm-hmm. like the new kid at school who seems really surly and angsty, but also like secretly writes poetry and cries exactly. when he's listening to emo music in his room. Totally. Like he's Ryan on the OC. Like he seems really tough and he's been through some stuff, but he's actually really sensitive. Yes, totally is. And he, and just you learn that about him. He helps teach Cassie how to write. He has his own kind of way of thinking, but he's he's willing to push that the limit. And he's so open and receptive to the things that she shares too, like the poetry. And I think that was, it was so sweet. The way that it was written, the, the love element of it, I thought was so sweet. Yeah. And she feels really insecure as the book goes on about the fact that like she didn't really pay any attention to him until she got his face on screen. Like she never would have thought that he was an option for her yeah. if the society hadn't told her that he was. And there's a moment later on where he reveals that he has always kind of had a crush on her and she doesn't know if she should tell him the truth because she doesn't want to hurt his feelings. All that she knows is to do what the society, the officials tell her to do. And so she has to reckon with the fact that like she is fully obsessed with this boy. Like she is obsessed with him. Yeah. But that never would have happened if somebody hadn't told her that she maybe could be obsessed with him. Yes. So then it's like, are those feelings because, well, again, kind of like with that was her whole life. She's she's known her entire life that one day she will be matched. She'll have a family with the person that she is set up with. And so maybe that is just a different part of her her brain and herself opening up where she's like, maybe I can't have a choice. Who would that be? Otherwise, again, like with the rule following, like she just wasn't, she's just never thought that way. So it is an interesting kind of situation where you're like, is it because you were told you would be matched with this guy or is it like genuinely feelings? And I know that kind of comes up in the book where they're like, I want to know that you love me because you feel that instead of because you were told to. Right. It's like on reality dating shows when they're like, I want to make sure that I'm the one you choose, even if it means that you have to date all of these other people. Like, I want you to choose me because you're choosing me, not because I happen to be here and the producer set us up on this amazing date. Yeah. The other thing about Kai that, well, I guess this is more a comparison between Kai and Cassia that's worth noting before we go any further is that Cassia has a realization, I think about halfway through the book when she's gotten to know him a little bit better because they're both doing this hiking activity, like everything is so regimented. It's not that they just like go hiking for fun. It's their like planned and requested and assigned summer leisure activity. Like they get to put in these requests. They both wanted to do hiking. And so they spend this time with each other, getting to know one another. And this is where he teaches her to write. So there's a line where she's like, I realized that the only thing that I know how to do, the only thing that my family knows how to do is sort sort things and Kai knows how to create things which just kind of like punched me in the gut a little bit because it reminds us that Cassia like doesn't think that she's supposed to make things or come up with things or imagine things like she just thinks that she's supposed to take what's handed to her and sort it according to the criteria that she's been given and Kai's like no no like I can draw, I can write, like I can tell you these stories from the life before, even if they're really hard and scary and dark, but it's going to be something new. It's not just me sorting what these people tell me to sort. And that's what Cassia does. Her job is sorting, which like a little vague and confusing, but it seems like whatever training she's doing is like preparing her to go into some field where she will be like looking for patterns in some kind of data, which is very much like nothing like Kai's brain like Kai's brain he's a poet he wants to make things I don't know if you've ever seen Severance I haven't but I've heard it's great I've only seen a couple of episodes but they do sorting in it I was like this this feels like I imagine when I imagined her sorting I imagined you see a little bit of the screen when the characters are sorting I'm like that probably is what this is yeah at first like when she was doing her training her like practice sorts it seemed just like she was playing a video game like I was envisioning like Tetris because she talks about like looking at a screen and kind of circling things that seem off but later in the book when they bring her in to do her like real test sort she's looking at people and it actually seems more like an industrial engineering task where she's like looking at a floor of factory workers basically and like identifying where things are inefficient 
Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like, like you said, Lauren, like I feel like there are some things that are not entirely clear as far as the world building goes. Yeah. Maybe part of that is because we have 13 more years and we've seen like different kinds of technology. And so it's harder for us to like suspend disbelief about the technological elements of the world that don't feel quite right to us. Yeah. And I think like in reflecting back on it, it's less about the technology because we don't really learn about why people are matched with certain people. And we kind of like don't follow that thread when people meet up. So we don't know what other people go through when they see their matched person from a different province. But it feels like a very human kind of the the more emotional side of what it feels like to live in this world and what it would be like to fall in love in this world. And so it feels like it was kind of more of that element versus like going really into the the specifics of how everything really works together. Yeah. So there's another very important character that we have not mentioned or really gotten into details about in this book. And that's grandfather, Cassia's grandpa, who, while he passes away fairly early on in the book, we hear about him, we read about him all the way up until the end because they're very close. And the first scenes that she has with grandfather introduce us to the way that the society deals with older people, which again, in this tour that she did in 2020, when she was in conversation with Shannon Hale, Ali Condi was talking a little bit about how like this book is a reflection on like the way that we as a society treat older folks and how in 2020 specifically, like older people in retirement homes were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic and how we just like don't take care of older people the way we should. So that's something that she was reflecting on even in the last few years. But the society has decided to take the surprise and to take the fear out of death by insisting that people die when they're 80 years old if they don't die earlier which like at this point most people don't everything has been so programmed and like scientifically managed that the vast majority of people who are living in this particular province and like not working certain kinds of jobs will live until they're 80 and then there's this whole ceremony where the family gets to like be with them and it all seems very peaceful and humane and gentle and all those things and Cassia doesn't know to question at the beginning because she doesn't know to question anything But before he dies, her grandfather gives her this compact and he has some words of wisdom for her. Like he clearly wants her to ask questions, but he doesn't necessarily give her like specific instructions. So she's left throughout the book, like trying to parse what he meant when he said goodbye to her. And uh, we kind of learn that she comes from this line of rebels, like her grandfather is giving her these hints about do not go gentle into that dark night. He gives her this Dylan Thomas poem, which I loved. And her father breaks the rules by getting rid of the tissue sample from grandfather, which is like a big part of this whole rite of passage where like you're supposed to take a tissue sample from every 80-year-old before they die so that they can potentially be brought back to life in the future. And grandfather told his son that he didn't want to come back to life, like he wanted to die on his own terms. And so Cassia's father like destroyed the sample, which is also really rebellious. So we're finding that Cassia isn't the first person in her family to bend the rules, but grandfather is like really her inspiration for doing things differently. What did you think about him? What did you think about their relationship? Yeah, that was a really great way to explain all of that. Sometimes I like just start talking and (laughs) listeners will will know this. Sometimes I just like throw a bunch of things into the microphone and I'm like, I think that I captured it. Yeah. But sometimes it's hard to know. No, that was great. Grandfather was, I mean, such a sweet, gentle man. Like, we really don't get to spend a lot of time with him. And I think that could have been interesting to see what that would have looked like. But I also felt his presence after he was gone because of this poem and because of Cassie constantly kind of thinking about him and reflecting. And it was an interesting way. It definitely felt bleak a little bit I was like whoa we're here we're gonna we're gonna read this like happening and that felt a little heavy for like not even for teens because I think honestly like I think kids and teens are exposed to so much nowadays that that was like a very tame way to go we're probably softer than like today's teens honestly (laughs) (laughs) right that concept of like 80 
And like when you're 80, you get your favorite food and you're slowly poisoned to your death. Like in this world, that is what happens. And you're surrounded by family and they make it sound really nice where they're like, you get your favorite food. You get to go not in a painful way. You're surrounded by the ones you love versus like out in that big, scary world where people die at different ages. And that's the, the old days. So then I wasn't sure if that was like how far in the future we were or if that was like happening simultaneously in a different province slash world. But in the old days, that's how people went. And I guess that's just kind of the world we live now. But that feels like a very forward thinking kind of like the type of like assisted death type of storyline where it's not painful, but it is still interesting because like whether he was a healthy grandpa or not, it was like, he's, that's it. Yes. I'm glad you said that because I think that there are like shreds of this plan that are not completely awful. Like this isn't a totally bad plan if it's about consent and choice. Like if people have Mm -hmm. a choice and we are taking really good care of people until they have the chance to make that choice. Yeah. Like I can see how people could read this book or how people could be out in the world talking about assisted death, assisted death by suicide and be like, yes, like this makes sense. The thing that is so disturbing about this book is that it's there is no choice. Like, this is just what yeah. you are told to do. Like you said, Lauren, like, no matter how healthy you are. And we find out later in the book that these people are being poisoned over time through their food. There's this kind of whole, like, insidious plan under the surface about how this happens. It's not like there's, like, this one moment at the end of their life when these 80-year-olds are poisoned. Like, the society is solely poisoning them yeah. over time, which is really messed up. And then you reflect on, like, all of these seemingly nice elements of this ceremony. Like you said, like, your family's around, and you get to look at this beautiful view, and you get to eat your favorite food. But the only reason that it's cool that you get to eat your favorite food is because you never get to eat, like, actual food that you like and enjoy until that moment. So, like, yeah, when you think about it through that lens, you're like, wait, like, this is, this just kind of, like, brings into further focus how horrible every other day of your life is yeah and so yeah it's it's a really complicated thing and it just like drives home how ritualized everything is and the society seems to want to make people feel like these rituals are like sweet and sentimental and meaningful when in fact they're just routines and it's about efficiency and data and not giving people a choice which is very different than like giving people a choice and then letting them have this like peaceful end. Totally. And it was interesting of like, that is so ritualized that like Cassie was sad when that happened. She missed her grandpa, but it also was kind of like, but that's what it is. Right. Like that's just how it goes. That's what happens until Kai describes the old days outside world where it's like, that's not what happens there. And that introduces more change into this more ritualized world. Yeah. And after losing her grandfather, which happens shortly after this seeming mix-up after her match, Cassia really starts to like look around her and try to figure out what the heck is going on and how she feels about it. She's getting closer to Kai. She's learning from him about these other parts of the world, about different poems and different music and just like hearing his story. And we are really into love triangle territory now because as far as everybody knows, she and Xander are going to spend these years getting to know each other even better. They're going to enter into this marriage contract and then they'll get married and have babies at the like biologically opportune time. Yeah. Strange to me that like in this very scientific world, we have not figured out the science of IVF and like egg freezing and all that good stuff, but we don't need to worry about that, I guess. (laughs) She seems to have this path set out for her, but at the same time, she, of course, is getting more and more interested in Kai and what he could offer her in another life. And what I did love so much was that Ali Condi shows, like, what different kinds of love look like. And this, I think, goes back to what I was saying before about how we're given two, like, perfectly viable, optimistic choices here with these other points of the love triangle with Sandra and Kai – And beyond that, I just think that she's showing us like there are different ways to love people and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And her and Xander have a very different relationship than she would have with someone if she was matched with somebody in a different province. 
like that. I, I don't even know what that could look yeah. like. Uh, we didn't really explore that. And so getting kind of that idea is, is a little bit different because even Kai lives in this world also. So she's been exposed to them, but that love triangle of, she loves them both in very different ways. She's known Xander for her whole life. They were their best friends. They grew up together. And then there's this guy who challenges her and kind of aligns more with this new evolving version of her. Kind of the catalyst was grandpa and what he shared with her. And that, again, with like peeling back those layers, she has kind of like a partner and partner in crime there where she gets to do that with someone who is also thinking those things. So she doesn't think that she's thinking something totally out of the line. She's like, okay, yeah, that's like, he's like a gut check for her. Yeah, I love that way to put it. That's exactly how it felt. It's like a gut check. Like, yeah, just, just think about it. And that's an opportunity that most other teens don't get. Like, that's a privilege that Cassia gets because of this mistake, not mistake, mistake, not mistake by the society giving her his photo on the data card. She has the chance to like actually think about it in a way that other kids don't. And so that's kind of cool. As we get close to the end of the book, a lot of things happen. Like there's a lot of intense moments. We're not going to be able to get to all of them in the course of this conversation. There's stuff about the tablets, um, taking the tablets, what the tablets mean. Cassia sort of has to like make this massive decision about Kai's future because she's brought to do this sorting exercise at the factory where he works. And the officials reveal to her that her decision based on her sort will actually impact the futures of these people and the people who she has categorized as like really great at their jobs are going to get the chance to go work somewhere else where the conditions will be better and where they might actually make it to that 80th birthday. The people who are not as strong at their job will have to stay in this particular factory being exposed to the poisonous elements that are put into the food. Their lives will not be as long and they will continue to suffer. And so Kai, sort of coincidentally, because Cassia was just looking at these numbers, he falls right in the middle. And so she has to make a decision about which category to put him in. And she feels like she's playing God. And I would too. And she decides that she's going to put him in the group that's more efficient, that's better at their job, even though it means that he's going to be sent away. And we kind of think that that's going to be like the big moment. Like, okay, like she did it. It's going to be really sad when they're separated. But things only get like worse and more stressful because like the government continues to get involved and like, yeah, they're like wiping people's memories. There's just like, there's a lot going on. What did you think about that? Like final sprint of the book where we're just hit with like big scene after big scene. Yeah, there was a lot. I'm most curious about who's running the show. Like not to bring up like Hunger Games again, because I'm sure this got compared to it a lot. Yeah, no, good points. But they have this whole society of like watching the whole thing unfold. Right. And so I would be really curious. We know there's officials. We know there are rules, but who's behind it? I would have loved to have known that. There were a lot of really intense scenes. And I think that sorting one is really interesting where Cassie has made a lot of you know small decisions, like the decision to share the poem, read the poem, remember it. Those are all choices. But sorting felt like the biggest choice that she really made because, and interestingly, the government itself put her in that position to make that choice, which was like, you know, it's not going to go well. Like (laughs) it it can't, but that's a tough, I think, I think the hardest part of that, the end was the fact that those factory workers would now go to war. I think that was really a tough kind of like piece of knowledge to learn about it. I mean, it kind of contributes to the bleak elements of, again, like not having a choice with how people die at 80 and really your whole life, a lot of like small, small things all add up. But yeah, it was a lot of information. It kept it really exciting. Like it kept it like, I like that it kept it moving. Um, And that's where I'm like, okay, now we need to know what happens next. Yes, and you're going to read the next book, and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. I know, I need to. Yeah, Yeah, everybody's a pawn. And, you know, like, Cassia's a pawn in the sort. And then these workers are a pawn because we think that they're getting moved to have, like, a better job when, like you said, like, they're going to war. And we don't really even know what the war is about. Like, yeah, everybody's just a pawn, and it's really upsetting. One other 
thing that I wanted to mention before we wind this conversation up is, um, and maybe this is like a 2023 sensitivity thing. And so I'm curious what you think. There was a lot of talk in the book about the green tablet, which is the tablet that people seem to take when they are super anxious. There's a scene when one of Cassie's friends, M, has a panic attack, or what I would assume is supposed to be a panic attack right before her match. And she takes the green tablet. Like, people are allowed to take the green tablet. The red tablet, not so much. But the green and blue tablets are fine. And there are many references to the fact that Cassia is, like, really proud that she's never taken the green tablet and that her grandfather is, like, never take the green tablet. Like, I don't believe in taking the green tablet. And maybe I'm projecting. Maybe this is, again, like a 2023 thing. But I felt like it felt like a weirdly out-of-place, like, kind of knock on medication and on like taking care of one's mental health in certain ways in a book that felt otherwise like pretty forward thinking and kind of challenging and it's confusing because grandfather is like really challenging of so many other things in so many other ways so I was just like personally disappointed that that was like a point of pride for Cassia and for grandfather that like oh this isn't a thing that we do Yeah, that's so interesting because when you start, you don't know what the tablets are for, right? Right. You're like, Ooh, what are these? It's another way to control. It's another, because the red one wipes your memory. And so like, not totally, but for the past like day or so, Mm -hmm. it wipes your memory. And then the blue say can save them. Yeah. It's like, if you're, I feel like it's like, if you're out of food and water, like it revives you or something, it was sort of confusing. Okay. And because it came up so sporadically, I was like, not following the tablets as much. I think it was, I feel like it was a device for the end, kind of near the end where they were like, take the red pill now. And I think it was used to build intrigue of that. But that is so interesting to think about in the sense of the calming pill, the green one, and taking that and the grandfather being, to me, that was like, oh, because it probably like, erases your memories and makes you not want to fight back. And maybe he was just very skeptical of it for those reasons. But yeah, that is a really, that's an interesting point. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, so this book came out in 2010. And I don't know if you're Mm -hmm. familiar with the movie Garden State, but it must have come out. So it came out when I was in high school because I watched a lot in high school. So it must have come out in like 2005, 2006. And there's a lot in that movie about like the main character going off of his antidepressants and like how it's important to feel things and you don't want to be numb to the world around you and like yes 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 those things are all true and there's a balance to be found of course and we all are aware of like the consequences of what happens when you take medication that hasn't been prescribed for you and like of course all of this needs to be done in a smart way Mm -hmm. but I just thought that it, it you know it's maybe just a sign of like the changing conversations around this kind of thing because in 2010 it would seem that creators were like really much more focused on this idea of like don't numb out like don't take the meds and now I just think the the dialogue about mental health is different but again might be projecting it might be no it's true 2023 sensitive (laughs) I was like don't tell her not to take her happy pills like she needs to calm down she's stressed (laughs) out if she has a panic attack I want her to take the green pill yeah yeah that's true I think that Mental health should be discussed. I think there's still a stigma around it. I think it should be totally normalized of like going to therapy and medication when it's needed. And so that that point of like that it could be read like that is really interesting because it was 13 years ago. That's a long time. And I'd like to think that there's been progress made, but I think there is still a little bit of a stigma around it. Yeah. I just would have liked to see a little bit more nuance there. Or maybe I was just looking for 2023 nuance and that's not going to come in a book written in 2010. So on the whole, Lauren, I know you didn't read this book when you were younger, so we can't compare this reading experience to that one. But I'm curious about how Matched met or did not meet your expectations. And did you enjoy it more than you thought you would? Did it not hold up sort of to our 2023 standards in certain ways? Um, Kind of big picture. What did you think about this? Yeah, I thought it was going to be way more kind of like more dystopian in the sense that you're like, what is this world that we're living in that was so far fetched? And instead, it was like really an emotional, like most of the lines I underlined were like Cassie talking about Kai and the way that she felt. And yeah, obviously, I'm really, I'm honing in on those 
that part of it um, as a romance writer. Well, and you're going hard for Kai, so you're like... (laughs) (laughs) And I just totally was like, wow, this girl's falling in love. And I I actually was more blown away by the the romance element of the book than I was the technology, which I do think would have been interesting to learn more about. So I was primed totally with, you know, I haven't seen Divergent, but I have seen Hunger Games. So I was primed with that. And I felt like this was a very more emotional version of a dystopia. So I I really liked it. I zoomed through it. I had no expectations. I didn't do a lot of reading about it beforehand. I wanted to go in totally fresh. And so... I really felt like I had to look a couple times at what year it came out because I felt like it was more, I felt like it was either more recent or really old. Yeah. It's hard to timestamp it when there's all of this technology. Like you kind of want to understand what she was working with at the time. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And there are two more books in the series. So once you read them, you'll have to let me know how they are. I did not read the other two. So I have no idea what happens, but you'll have to circle back and let me know. Yeah. Other than Match, what have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners? Yeah. So I'm going to recommend a few books. I'm going to stay on for a few of them, the topic of matching and they're a little bit more matchmaking, but the first one is The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren. And that one is based on matching based on DNA. And so I, I really enjoyed that book. And I'm reading True Love Experiment, The True Love Experiment right now, which is their next book that comes out next week, May 16th. And so that one has a character from The Soulmate Equation in it, Fizzy. And it's about, it is a little bit like, Honestly, I feel like this works pretty well because it's a dating show where they find like tropey men to match with this main character. And basically the idea is like, can the audience pick somebody that you're uh, matched with based on your DNA or like the chemistry and how you get along? So those kind of feel very matched in different ways. The other is called The Matchmaker's Gift, which is not at all like a dystopian, but world but matchmaking and amazing writing a world to get lost in for sure and then the other two are by the same author by Catherine May Wintering and Enchantment and Enchantment came out a few months ago but Wintering is really about making sure that you have time to rest and we go through these periods of wintering and I feel like Cassie is kind of coming out of that whole like this really tough part of her life, growing pains, but also losing people she loves and growing. And so I think like we all have our periods where we have our wintering moments and then we come out and then enchantment is post-wintering and you're blooming and blossoming and you're finding inspiration again in a world where we are very burned out and we are constantly pulled in a million different directions with technology, notifications, the news, And so how do we find enchantment in a world that demands so much of us? Those are all great recommendations and I appreciate you sharing them with us. So I will include them in the show notes. Speaking of things that we have been reading lately, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but I just finished your book, Lunar Love, which has been on my shelf for a while, but because I knew we were going to be talking, I decided to wait to read it until right before this recording. I had the best time reading it over the course of a weekend. It was like the first free weekend I had in a long time. And I was like, I am going to cuddle up with this book. And it was the perfect read for that. I was so happy to have it. And I'm so grateful that you wrote it. Listeners, go get yourself a copy of Lunar Love. But first, you have to hear from Lauren about it. Lauren, how would you describe this book to my audience? Yeah, so Lunar Love is a You've Got Mail meets the Chinese Zodiac romantic comedy. It is about two Chinese Zodiac matchmakers who have very different approaches to how they help people find love. One does it more traditionally, and that's the main character, Olivia Huang Christensen, and she is taking over her Popoa's Chinese Zodiac matchmaking business, and in Chinese, Popoa meets, means maternal grandmother, and she is up against Ellie's most eligible bachelor, Bennett O'Brien, who is starting a Chinese Zodiac dating app. So the two go head-to-head in competition and make a bet about whose respective methods work best, and the, they'll set each other up on dates, and the first person to fall in love loses. It's a great premise. I absolutely loved it. Thank you. I thought the characters were so fun. I like wanted to see what the app would look like in real life. And I wanted to like go visit the Lunar Love headquarters. I don't want to give anything away, but like 
I love a really warm granddaughter grandmother relationship and it like makes me think of my own grandmother I lost a couple of years ago and so there's some like really heart-wrenching things that happen good and bad and beautiful and yeah I just really enjoyed the book and uh, I cannot recommend it enough so listeners get yourself a copy Lauren congratulations on its success it was a book of the month pick which is a huge deal And I'm grateful that you found the time to talk to me so soon after its release and it's out and you're talking about it. And it was just really nice to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for your kind words and for having me on. This is really fun. Thanks. Thank you. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.